welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 45 of The Story of Minglan or The podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas, or else email us at KarenKathy at ChasingDramas.com. Also, please leave a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. If you haven't voted already, please head on over to our website, ChasingDramas.com, to vote for which drama you want us to chat about on this podcast next. As always, for this episode, or this podcast episode, we will do a drama episode recap, then focus on historical analysis, and finally close off with some book differences. In the last episode, our main character, Sheng Minglan, spent a couple of episodes, actually, earning her first victory in her household. Now, she's on to her next obstacle. As the madam of the household, Minglan is on a work trip to inspect her farmsteads, or at least Hu Tingye's farmsteads and holdings. The farmsteads she visits in this episode are new farms that were gifted to her husband, Gu Tingye, by the emperor himself. In these sharecropping agreements, Gu Tingye is the new landlord, but there is no standing relation between the tenants and the farm managers and Gu Tingye at all, or at least Gu Tingye and Minglan. What Minglan has to do is inspect these farmsteads and look at the accounts. She is essentially acting as an auditor to ensure that the properties are running smoothly. The first one they visit is Hei Shan Zhuang, or the farmstead on Mount Black. Sounds pretty ominous, right? So this Hei Shan Zhuang used to be the holdings of a duke. Unfortunately, the duke committed some type of crime that we don't really know about and was punished. His holdings were confiscated under imperial management for a short time. And so this was uh, something that the emperor had. And he decided to gift these properties out to his loyal subjects or allies. Hei Shanzhuang was one of those lands that was gifted to Gu Tingye. Unfortunately, the fact that this property was confiscated under uh, for a while also means that there's been a lack of ownership and management of the uh, farmstead, or at least overseeing of the management of the farmstead. Minglan has her hands full because she has to figure out exactly what is going on in the farmstead, establish correct management, and set ground rules. She's pretty much your new CEO. Let's turn to see exactly what she does. In the morning, Minglan meets the farm managers for Hei Shanzhuang. Please note that even as a married woman, these overseers were not allowed to see her face. This was proper etiquette at the time. And I actually really appreciate this detail in the drama, as with many details in the drama, because I think many other shows would have ignored this fact, or this act, at least. Minglan 
does not ask the overseers anything about the farm. Instead, she exchanges pleasantries and is more interested in the main overseer's daughter's tea-making skills. Uh, the overseer is all like, what? We had our whole script ready. This is kind of going off script. Minglan was clearly trying to extend the conversation as long as possible as a distraction. Shortly after, Minglan's maid, Cui Wei, announces that everyone is assembled. Mr. Tu, who is Minglan's security, walks up with two other people and plop a whole basket of money on the ground. Who's assembled? Why, it is the sharecroppers or tenants or farmers. The overseers are taken aback, especially the main guy, Ba Lao Fu. What is the meaning of this? Minglan jovially just says, the farmstead is under new management. Everyone's been working hard and I want to reward my tenants. At first, the tenants aren't really sure of what's happening and only a few show up. They can't believe their eyes and ears when money is literally just shoved into their hands. But word travels quickly and before long, all of the tenants arrive to get their money. I mean, it's free, so why not? So what is the meaning behind this action? That night, as Minglan is eating dinner, we hear the purpose of these rewards. Minglan knows that anything the farmstead overseers tell her will most likely be fake and not to be trusted. So she needed to find a way to extract the truth on the comings and goings of the farmstead. Since this is the first farmstead she visited, the tenants would be the best source of information. Unsurprisingly, Minglan's servants uncover underreported farmlands and tenants. How do we know this? It's actually quite ingenious. Um, I would say rewards or bribery does go a long way. It was probably a little confusing in the drama. Minglan's maids had a booklet with the names of every tenant on the land. However, there were people coming to claim reward money that were not listed in that booklet of names. They insisted, though, that they were part of the farmstead. This is not the fault of the tenants. It just means that the managers or overseers were not reporting these individuals and their income on official documents. What's even more egregious is that these farm overseers actually registered lands from the farmsteads for themselves under relatives' names and have been reaping the profits. These farm overseers were actually all servants under the old duke's management. When the old duke fell from grace, they should have been sold off or even exiled. It's astonishing the gall that these men have to outright steal from the farm when they themselves are in a very precarious situation. These overseers um, also knew what they were doing was pretty illegal, but they still gambled on this greed because they didn't buy any property under their own names, but rather their relatives. It would have been too conspicuous if they bought any property under their own names. As we're hearing about all of uh, the truths unfold, right on cue, the farm managers arrive to Minglan's hall and beg for forgiveness from Minglan. Technically, Minglan shouldn't be meeting with them without her cover, but I really like this territorial choice. 
Notice how Minglan never looks at the managers at all while she's chastising them. She only focuses on her dinner. That is such a power play and clearly establishes who's boss. Minglan doesn't serve punishment that night, but the farm managers are shaking in their boots for what will befall them. That concludes the visit to Hei Shenchuang, or the first audit experience. We could say that that was a rather easy audit session, right? Minglan seems to know exactly how to handle the managers. Next up is Gu Yanchuang. This farmstead is another boss-level opponent that Minglan will have to uh, vanquish. Gu Yanchuang has been under imperial rule for, or imperial ownership for over 10 years. Unlike Hei Shenzhuang, which was only recently confiscated, a eunuch from the palace has been managing the farmstead for several years. Whatever has been happening in this farmstead is a mystery because, well, you don't question imperial relations. This is going to be tricky for Minglan. She can't replay the same tactic as she did at Hei Shenzhuang or the Black Mount uh, Farmstead because, or the Mount Black Farmstead, because news would have already traveled to this farmstead of what she did. The overseers would already be prepared for her. Minglan devised another plan and actually sent a couple of her guards ahead to uncover some information. Her guards went uh, undercover to gather information from the tenants. On the route waiting for Minglan is the overseer for Gu Yanzhuang, Wu Guang. This overseer is related to a palace eunuch and is a pretty nasty fellow. It's obvious Wu Guang is prepared for Milan as he presents her with the financials, leases, and registry. So Milan has no choice but to deflect and decides to inspect the grounds instead. Unfortunately, as Milan and Wu Guang are speaking, a scuffle breaks out, and it turns out that the guards that Milan sent to investigate were caught by Wu Guang's men. Minglan is immediately put at a disadvantage because she can't investigate anymore. Wu Guang then drops a huge bombshell. 50 to 60 of the tenant families are in debt from overdue rent. Yes, what should he do? The amount is jaw-dropping. 20,000 tails of silver is owed. That's not all. There is an additional 13,000 to 15,000 tails of silver owed from the tenants because of loans for food, medicine, etc. Then there's other nobles who also borrowed 14,000 to 15,000 tails of silver off of the land. Let me repeat. The amount owed on this farmstead is 50,000 tails of silver. That's an enormous amount. If we just look at like pure number-wise, you know, even 50,000 US dollars is a huge amount. That's crazy. Every word coming out of this Wu Guang's mouth is a subtle threat to Minglan. What he is saying is that all of these unpaid debts is my leverage over you, Minglan, because if you don't let me continue to manage this property and keep me here, 
I will let everyone know that this property is indebted so heavily. Because this is a royal property, it does not look good on anybody if this information comes to light. And so Minglan is rather put in a hard spot. That night, Minglan is fuming back in her rooms. She's been publicly threatened and the accounts that Wu Guang gave her were all rotten. None of the numbers matched. Clearly, he's just messing with her, thinking she can't punish him. Surprisingly, Ku Tingye appears. It seems that he has finished his military drill sessions and was worried about Milan, so he came to see her. Aw, that's rather sweet. He listens to her frustrations and patiently explains to a rather annoyed Minglan the intricacies of this particular farmstead. As we explained earlier, it is owned by the imperial family, but because the emperor is new, he has no relationships with anyone. As a new emperor, his hands are actually tied in the two main components of his rule. Number one, money. Number two, military. Despite being emperor, he has little control over farmsteads such as these to provide the Chinese treasury with funds. He also has very few troops he can command readily. Since the issues with this particular farmstead extend beyond petty personal property issues, Hu Tingye tells Minglan, or is pretty much like, don't worry about it, wifey, I will take care of this for you. Minglan is kind of sad about this because she was like, I want to do this for you. But in this circumstance, we do require Hu Tingye to step in. Touched, Minglan suggests that he take a bath after a long day. We enjoy a cute scene where Minglan finally becomes worried about Gu Tingye's well-being. He's being, um, I don't really know what the right word to use is, uh, elated? He's just excited that Minglan finally, quote-unquote, cares for him. He tells her that if he ever betrays her, she can go on ahead and poison him with an herb called Huichun. This causes Milan to freak out slightly. Why on earth would she want him dead? She has to rely on him for the rest of her life. Yeah, that's unfortunate but true. Little does she know that this herb, after doing some research, originates from the Yunnan province. It's not poisonous at all, but rather has medicinal effects and is generally thought to benefit men. Hu <laughs> Tingye was clearly making a harmless little joke. The next day, Hu Tingye, keeping his word, steps in for Minglan. After all, it is unfortunate, but as is the case in many instances today, it takes a man to have these direct conversations. In the morning, Hu Tingye has his servants round up the farm overseers. Clearly, he's here to interrogate these men. The sly Wu Guang isn't perturbed, though. He uses the same tactic he used against Minglan and raises the losses the farmstead currently faces. Hu Tingye takes this in stride as well. He states that his wife, 
at the Mount Black farm said, or Hei Zhendrong gave each farmer money, so he must do the same. He asks Wu Guang to round up the farmers so he, Gu Tingye, can give them a bonus as well. Wu Guang, though, continues his sly ways and states that it's difficult to round up the farmers and will take a lot of time to do so. Why doesn't Gu Tingye give the money to the overseers to hand to the tenants? The implication should be clear. On the surface, Wu Guang is thinking of saving Gu Tingye time by taking the funds and distributing them via the other farm overseers. Sure, that does save time for Gu Tingye, but in the time and age where there's no good audit trail, by making this request, it's pretty obvious that Wu Guang and company are going to take those funds for themselves. It's unclear whether or not the overseers will actually give the tenants any of these funds. And um, knowing what we do now based on all of the weird debts that have occurred, they'll probably take the money and somehow add debts to the tenants. Fortunately, Gu Tingye knew this was going to happen and tells Wu Guang calmly that it's no worry. They've already rounded up the tenants. At this, Gu Tingye's head servant Shi Tou shows up with a crowd of farmers in tow. He reveals that there were many guards and fighters surrounding the farmers, but they have all been dealt with. This essentially means that Wu Guang and the other managers have been imprisoning these tenants under heavy watch. Why else would there need to be a guard presence on or surrounding farm tenants? Wu Guang is certainly not pleased to see the tenants. You can just look at his face. It's ugh, so despicable. The farmers step forward and it's pretty obvious they're in destitute conditions. Their clothes are shabby and their appearance is unkempt. Wu Tingye asks the group to tell them how their living conditions have been on the farmstead. At first, the farmers are rather hesitant. They're worried of the possible repercussions of, for sharing anything with Gu Tingye. After all, he's a new face that they don't know. Who knows what Wu Guang and company would do to them, the farmers, if they say anything. Gu Tingye, knowing what they're worried about, declares that these farmers do not need to worry. The management team will change and he, Gu Tingye, will be their ultimate landlord. What he says goes. And then almost immediately, the floodgates open. Several farmers share the horrible atrocities these managers have subjected them to. They have very little food, water, clothing, not to mention any additional savings. They've been beaten, raped, and taken of everything they have. Their loved ones have died from either being too cold or too hungry. It's absolutely infuriating to hear this. What's more infuriating is the look on Wu Guang's face. He's not sorry at all for behaving this way. He's more upset at being publicly exposed. Fortunately, Gu Tingye doesn't skip a beat and summons the local magistrate. The purpose of summoning this guy is to write down evidence for future court judgment. It's a small detail that isn't really fully explained but Gu Tingye wants to do this by the book so that no one can say he or the tenants made anything up in accusations against Wu Guang and company. 
Wu Guang, though, still is rather self-righteous. He doesn't think Gu Tingye can do anything against him because of all the debt the property is in. If Wu Guang is removed, the debt will be revealed, and this will be a slap in the face against the royal family, as the farmstead was previously owned by them. This will not look good for the emperor. Gu Tingye actually chuckles at this form of blackmail. He says, it's just money, right? Is that something he's worried about? Nah. He motions for his servants to bring up the documentation of outstanding debt, like this whole trunk load of paper. In front of the entire crowd, his servants dump the papers into a large pile onto the ground. In what is probably one of the most um, attractive scenes featuring Gu Tingye, he straight up burns the letters of credit. He claims he will pay for all outstanding debt by the tenants and for the property. Management must change. The tenants are so grateful. They all fall to their knees because Gu Tingye just saved their lives. And with that, the challenges at the farmstead are resolved. In the next scene, we see Ming Lan and Gu Tingye heading back home. In the carriage, though, Minglan is still rather pouty. She's upset because apparently Wu Guang wasn't prosecuted for his crimes. Instead, he was given a ton of money and told to leave. Anyone would be upset. I'm upset. Gu Tingye again patiently explains that the outstanding debt he can take care of, but they also have to protect the reputation of the imperial family. The money was given to Wu Guang more or less as hush money. Minglan continues to be annoyed. How can they just leave in peace? Gu Tingye smiles, rather wryly, leaning back on his seat. I don't think they'll actually be able to leave in peace. Turns out, these farmstead or these corrupt farm managers took the money but met bandits not too long afterwards. These managers had the money taken and their legs broken. They'll inevitably struggle for the rest of their lives. Or so that's what Grandma Sheng shares with Minglan after returning home. Part of me kind of wonders if Gu Tingye did this himself, but we'll never know. It could be true that there were bandits, but it really could also be that Gu Tingye sent his servants to beat these guys up. News of Minglan and Gu Tingye's activities on their farmsteads traveled rather fast. Not only does Grandma Sheng know the details of their little excursion, but the Empress Dowager herself has also heard the news. We'll see much more of the Empress Dowager in the future, and we will do a deep dive analysis of her in the next episode. The Empress Dowager explains to her head eunuch that while Gu Tingye had to use his own funds to pay down the debt for the properties, the emperor now must be over the moon with joy. Sure, Gu Tingye lost money, but is he wanting for cash? No, he's the wealthiest ally the emperor has. But by changing the management team of the farmstead in this manner, the emperor and Gu Tingye now are able to place their own people to manage the estate. This is income for Gu Tingye, but if needed, would also be income for the emperor. 
This was a huge win, not only for Minglan and Gu Tingye, but for the emperor as well. Well, why have the Empress Dowager explained this to us, the audience, though? In my view, it's because the matters of the farmstead have much bigger implications and consequences for the court and the empire. Milan may be struggling with auditing these farmsteads at a micro level, but there are macro level concerns that the emperor is focused on. It does sound like the emperor gifted these properties to Gu Tingye specifically for him to fix these issues on the farmstead. The episode ends with Minglan heading into the palace by invitation of the empress. It's her first official visit to meet the empress, and she's a little apprehensive. Accompanying her is the empress's younger sister, Xiao Shenshi, who we've met before. Gu Tingye, being the doting husband, also follows her to the palace. In the next episode, we'll see how her visit to the palace goes. One other character we're introduced to in this episode briefly is Liu Guifei. She is a concubine of the emperor with a young son. She is seen to have a rather short temper, which the empress dowager overheard her yelling at servants and smashing pots and pans. The empress dowager is not impressed whatsoever. This will also lead to further developments down the line. Alrighty, and now let's move on to our historical analysis. The first topic for today will be tianhu, or sharecroppers. Sharecropping in China has been around since the Warring States period, over 2,500 years ago. The first forms of regulated sharecropping developed during the Qin and Han dynasties, so around the 3rd to 2nd centuries BC. Due to the large number of peasants fleeing natural disasters or war-torn uh, places, the court decided to develop a sharecropping system. By the 3rd and 4th centuries AD, tenant farmers usually worked on land for aristocratic families and were considered the family's property. Sometimes these men would not work the fields, but instead worked on construction or became part of the family's private militia. Sharecropping was reformed during the Sui and Tang dynasties in the form of legal and meticulous contracts. From the time of the Sui dynasty, so roughly around 6th century AD, all the way to the Yuan dynasty, which is the dynasty after the Song dynasty and around the 13th century AD, legal contracts between landlord and tenants were executed. A legal system was established, and this was the first time the tenant was protected by court. So it's quite fascinating in the drama that we do see all of these records shown to Minglan because, well, the farmsteads were required to have them. Prior to the Sui dynasty and these reforms, um, these sharecroppers, like I said, were considered part of the family. So it's kind of murky what their role was. Were they servants? Were they contracted or how were they contracted was not quite clear. All right, the next topic is going to be money or qian. In previous episodes and for a discussion uh, for an episode for Empresses in the Palace, we did discuss money. So let's discuss the topic a little bit more here. 
I'm going to provide what the author meant with her currency valuation, and I'll try my best to estimate the corresponding value today. In the episode, Minglan gives each family yi guan qian and three hundred qian for every elderly family member. We see the yi guan qian shown as a string of coins. Yi guan qian literally means a string of coins. Historically, one thousand coins would equal yi guan qian, and one string of coins, or the yi guan qian, would equal one tail of silver. I read some estimates that one tail of silver back then would equal around six hundred RMB or more, or roughly around like let's say a hundred US dollars. It might not seem like much, but this was a significant amount of money back then. The author estimated that one tail of silver was the equivalent of either one half or a third of a family's yearly earnings. There's a saying in Chinese that if someone is extremely rich, then they have one guan jia cai. This translates to a fortune of ten thousand guan. That's very wealthy. If we convert it to my rough estimate, that's around one million dollars. If we put this in the context of ancient China and disregard kind of inflation and all of that, one million dollars is a lot of money. Let's extrapolate that even further. We learn that Gu Yanzhuang owed around fifty thousand taels of silver. If we convert it, then that's like four million U.S. dollars of debt for the Song Dynasty. That's a,、uh, as I said earlier, jaw-dropping amount. Now it's very suspicious that the tenants would actually accumulate this amount of debt. If the author stated that one tail of silver is half a year's salary, a tenant family earns only two tails of silver a year. For the fifty tenants living on the land to repay the thirty-five thousand tails of silver, so that's directly attributed to them. There's around another fifteen thousand that other nobles borrowed off the land to repay the thirty-five thousand tails of silver. That would take like three hundred fifty years to pay it back. Dynasties would have changed by the time this debt was repaid. This was most definitely predatory lending,、um, and kind of just unfeasible, actually. This also goes to show that Gu Tingye is like a wealthy multimillionaire.、Um, I mean, we know he's a multimillionaire or a very wealthy person because he doesn't bat an eye about wiping away this debt. So. I mean, if Milan was not married to Gu Tingye or wasn't in this position,、um, I don't know what she would have done. It would have been way more difficult to get rid of、um, this particularly nasty overseer and、uh, solve this challenge. Let's also take a pause to actually discuss Milan's capabilities this episode. She was left to mainly her own devices to face these despicable overseers. But she had the acumen and wit to trump the overseers at Heishanzhuang, and she was able to hold her own against the despicable Wu Guang at the Gu Yanzhuang. How was she able to do that? A. There's her own intellect, but B. It's definitely thanks to her grandmother's tutelage. Her grandmother taught her how to manage a household by teaching her, you know, the usual reading and writing, but also arithmetic and how to、uh, run and crunch the numbers. 
Her grandmother brought her up as a dinu, one who could and is able to manage a household. Typically, shu nu wouldn't have the capabilities Minglan had to dispatch these foes, and actually, some other dinu would not have had this opportunity or this、um, education either. We see that、uh, quite clearly in the books. Let's take a look at Mulan, Minglan's shu nu sister. She's now a madam of a household, but she spends her days battling her husband's concubines and not really managing anything. Her mother Lin Xiaoyang taught her how to seduce a man, but not actually run a household, which is what、um, Mulan's mother-in-law wants, and which is why Mulan's mother-in-law really wanted Minglan as a daughter-in-law. Say what you will about Madame Wang or Wang Da Niangzi, her daughters Hua Lan and Ru Lan both learned how to run and manage their own households. And lastly, let's conclude with book differences. In the book, before going to the two farmsteads as shown in the drama, Hei Shan Zhuang and Gu Yan Zhuang, Minglan actually visits some of the farmsteads under her name. These are some of the farmsteads that Grandma Sheng gifted her for her dowry, and these visits go much more smoothly because she's actually visited them before. And Grandma Sheng is a very generous landlord. As such, the tenants work a bit harder,、um, and the farm itself is quite bountiful. That was like level one. The book then goes on to describe the events of Hei Shanzhuang and Gu Yanzhuang. Hei Shanzhuang is level two. And Gu Yanzhuang is boss level. Most of the events in the episode、uh, for the two farm sets does follow the book, so、um, not much to say about that. And that is it for today. If you haven't already, check out our website with the latest drama reviews we've done, or follow along with the dramas we're currently watching. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you are in the U.S., head on over to Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo. That's X-U-M-O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. The music you heard is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bing Jiu, Wu Niujun, and played by Karen. We'll catch you all in the next episode.